What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice. And make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a podcaster, writer, and born contrarian, Ray Cash from the Outsider's Edge on the Chairshot Radio Network. And we're looking at proud and powerful versus best friends in the parking lot fight from Dynamite on the 16th of February, 2020. How are you going today, Ray? Good, man. You're good at that. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've been rattling it off for the last like 10 weeks or so, so <laughs> it's, it's starting to get ingrained. Eventually, I won't have to read it, hopefully. <laughs> You're more professional than I've ever been, and I've done it 10 years, so <laughs> good on you. Oh, well, good to good to, good to to hear. Um, now, Ray, I, I want to get straight into it because um, you're never one to mince words. Uh, and I think for people who do follow your work on the Chairshot Radio Network as a podcaster, writer, or follow you on social media, just, just know you from around the traps, they might be wondering, why have I got Ray onto an AEW podcast? Because you're someone who um, isn't afraid to really lay the boot into AEW at different points. Uh, and you're, you're someone who has at times been highly critical of AEW. But I actually know a different side of you um, from talking to you and going back and forth with you and getting stuck into you sometimes. Um, you're actually someone who does appreciate the company a lot and has like a really long history, more than a lot of us, um, with the people who formed this company and who created this company and the scene that it came out of. So before we we get stuck into the match, Ray, what, what's your history with AEW and the guys that have made this company? So I am a fan of AEW. It may not come off that way a lot, but I am. But I got into AEW originally through New Japan. Um, I used to be what people say I am, a WWE shield. I didn't watch anything else. I didn't even acknowledge that other companies existed other than maybe TNA and stuff like that. I, if it wasn't a WWE, it didn't matter. And then uh, the Wrestle Kingdom that was put on pay-per-view, uh, I believe that that was um, when Shinsuke fought. Uh, Kota Ibushi. Kota, uh, WrestleMania, yes. Wrestle Kingdom 9, I think it was. My man, that's it. That's the yep. one. And it was Okada versus Tanahashi, I think, the first yep. time. Yep, yep. Um, and opened my eyes. I was like, what have I been missing? Why mm -hmm. have I not been watching this? And so I've always, I kept up with New Japan ever since then. And of course, uh, I started watching wrestling right before the Attitude Era started. So growing up as a kid, of course, I'm a huge NWO fan, which led me to enjoying Bullet Club. Mm. And so I always enjoyed, uh, we make a joke on our show that we give all deference to the Tongans <laughs> because like we, Tongans and Samoans are, are like, I, I give all deference to them in wrestling uh, parlance. 
Look, we do on uh, this show as well. I don't want no smoke with the Tongans or Samoans. <laughs> no smoke whatsoever. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. <laughs> um, but that's when I first learned of Kenny and the Bucks. I had, you know, you had heard of the Bucks over the years. Mm. Um, but that's when I really got a chance to really give them a chance. My, I, I have a love-hate situation with the Bucks, but in terms of Kenny, Cody, and Hangman, I had been big fans of from the very beginning. Mm. Um, loved everything they did. Um, was going to go to the super card where Cody and Kenny fought. I just did, I had tickets for all that. I just ended up going. Um, and ended up selling them. But yeah, so big fan of that situation. And being the elite, didn't miss episode, transitions mm. in AEW. And of course, you have excitement for another wrestling company upscale. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as, as I said, you're someone who hasn't been afraid to to mince words but i i hope that as people will be able to see as we dig into this match it, it actually comes from a place of passion for you like mm-hmm. you you want excellence from this company and and so mm-hmm. you you hold them to a high standard yeah man i so i i this may sound crazy but i hold people to what they say mm. and uh so that it bothers me when i see these the people who are in charge of this company tony khan and all the evps and whatnot and they say these magnanimous things. First and foremost, they don't have to say anything for us to like them. They're an alternative. The wrestling product is fantastic. You don't have to big it up and like make up stuff to make us watch. We care already. But the things, I, so many things have been said over the years that have turned out to be untrue or just like peppering extra things to make it sound better. And like that bothers me as a fan because mm. I don't need that. I just want you to be real with me. But that's a completely separate issue I have from the product. I really can't criticize the product other than like some nitpicks. But the product's fantastic. The product largely is better than WWE's product on a regular basis. Look, I, I don't want to – it would be lovely to get stuck into it. We will have to at some point down the line. We'll, but we'll flip it on another day. Maybe, we maybe we'll do that on the outside as we can get a bit more loosey-goosey. But i got a format, damn it. I got a format to that the, the people have come here to listen to. Yes, sir. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's get stuck into the match. Let's let's talk the, about proud and powerful versus best friends. Uh, and as we always do, let's give the match its flowers. Um, Uncle Dave, Big Puffer Dave, he gave it five of the big ones. Uh, it was the <clears throat> first match of the empty arena era to get five stars from Dave Meltzer. Um, I know you don't come here for the Dave Meltzer love, but I always mention him because of who he is in the internet wrestling community. The hard markers at cage match. <laughs> the hard markers at cage match. They currently rate it as a 9.01 um, by the time this goes to air, depending who's rated it, maybe slightly below eight, maybe slightly higher, who knows. And on the definitive AEW match guide, which doesn't change, <laughs> we ranked it seventh when we tallied up the best matches from the first two years of AEW. Uh, so a, a match that's held in high esteem across um, many places and across many critics. And, of course, it came from something that I would say is uh, less well-remembered and less positively remembered, potentially, because the build-up for this match, uh, it wasn't quite as positive, wasn't quite as well done as perhaps the match was. We're going to get into the build-up. These two started feuding when they went to Daly's place. They had a series of matches, uh, which sort of escalated 
And then from that led to some beatdowns after the bell, which escalated to backstage brawls, where they escalated into gears being put in people's showers, which escalated to gear being bleached, which escalated to Sue, Trent's mum's car getting destroyed. Uh, Ray, what what did you think of the build-up to this match? You said it yourself. It wasn't great. And it kind of ran, If I forgive me if I got the timeline wrong, but it kind of ran on the periphery with, uh, Orange Cassidy and Jericho, am I right? Mm, yeah, it was it was all happening around about the same time. But it, it it I mean all that other stuff is just standard TV stuff. Mm. But it got real when they went after Sue's car. Yeah, that's when it <laughs> got like real to me because you know Trent and his mom are close, <laughs> and you could see that you know the best friends are uh, they're I guess a group now, right? Uh, but particularly the tag team, they're not a comedy tag team, but they're always fun happy going they have comedy spots mm. i think they they're serious when they get in the ring but that took this from uh from them from like just looking at the bright side and having fun to being really serious and i think that was a much needed flip to get to where they wanted to go okay so you're saying that once once that part happened it, that's when you emotionally engaged with the story a little more yeah yeah you yeah. you kind of you it, that you can sink your teeth into it once I mean, we've seen all these pranks and stuff happen, right? You know, mm. uh, didn't the a million Usos, times. <laughs> right? Didn't the Usos make fun of uh, Dax and Cash for shaving their backs? Yeah, like stupid stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. But when it but when it touches a family member and it's something you'd be like, oh, all right, they 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 piss now. Then you're like, okay, what's about to happen next? And that's when I think I really like, yeah, jumped into it. See, look, for me personally, I did not emotionally engage with this storyline at all. Like one bit, even when that stuff happened, it didn't engage. It was just, I don't know, it just felt like a feud that was going on and on and on. I think by the point that, that Trent's mum was involved, it it had just become something that was, oh, this this is the best friends and proud and powerful segment again this week. Um, So it was something that I was like mentally checking out for potentially and so wasn't, you know, engaged with it because it had just been, you know, <clears throat> the really bog standard thing of like, oh, we're going to fight backstage this week. Oh, we're going to take someone hostage this week. Or oh, we're going to put someone's bags in the shower this week. Like, I don't know. It was week in, week out, just wasn't engaging me. And the matches, I didn't think were anything to write home about either. So I don't know. For me, until this actual match happened, it was just not something that I was engaged with at the time. And which, you know, it was a, a funny time looking back on it. It was a like a time in the AEW's history where they were kind of spinning their wheels a little bit because mm-hmm. it had they double or nothing had happened. They'd had their the specials that they did after double or nothing, and mm-hmm. they were kind. I think they were spinning their wheels, waiting for things to change with the COVID situation. Um, there weren't any, you know, there weren't any big specials on the horizon, TV specials on the horizon. So they're kind of just slowly moving through the particularly in the mid card, just keeping keeping things afloat while um, bigger things happen and and the world could potentially open up more or hopefully sure. open up more, I guess. Maybe they thought it would happen sooner than it actually did. I, I'm not sure. And uh, given, given their flowers, they did the absolute best they could mm-hmm. in that pandemic era. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of your issues maybe with the, the, the feud in general come down to card placement. And I don't mean like literally mm. like on time but where they are because proud and powerful as good as they are have never really been given like a spotlight 
And no. the best friends have been secondary to Orange Cassidy almost from jump. Mm. And we look at best friends, and again, I don't want to call them a comedy team because they're not, but we look at them as that fun, happy-go-lucky team that has a fun match. We look at Proud and Powerful as, oh, they're, you know, uh, I hate that Proud and Powerful because, you know, they're from New York and they're tough mm. street dudes, but they always have to be associated with, like, robbing somebody or jumping somebody from the back or something yeah. like that. So I feel like those two tropes maybe made people not look at it as serious as it was. And then when the match started, everybody was like, oh, okay, I get it now. So mm. maybe that's what it was. I think you're right that card placement probably had a large part to do with it because this was at, the, at this point in the tag division. This was when um, Kenny and Hangman would, were the champions and leading into FTR becoming champions. So the, the focus in the tag division at the very top was very much like the Young Bucks Kenny and Hangman and FTR, and that was very obvious that those three were the like the three teams at the tip at the pinnacle of the division. So it was like the mid card of the tag division, which in AEW I think they actually one of the promises they have lived up to is making tag team wrestling like a main event feature and a, a big attraction of what they do. But even even so, like the mid card of the tag team is not it's not something that you were that you're like waiting on the edge of your seat to see every week, I guess. And and part of it. Yeah, he's, as I said, I didn't engage with the content. I do think getting Sue involved, and as we'll see in the match, it actually pays off incredibly, and it's become a feature of their act, which is beloved now. Um, So, you know, it was a great call to do that. And as you said, like, you, that was when you engaged. I'm sure there's other people out there who are the same as you. Um, I'm just speaking from my perspective. And, and the actual match that we're talking about, that was set up when Proud and Powerful refused to apologise for destroying... Sue's car um, and that's when this backstage fight concept was first uh, was put forward and it was said this is what they're going to do before we get into the actual match itself did you have anything else you wanted to say about the build no you're spot on uh also well I, one thing we can say as we'll see when we get into the match is uh Sue is a superstar yeah. <laughs> An and she knows how to super- she knows how to work it doesn't she like she knows how to work a camera and pick a spot yes. and pick a moments yeah it's amazing to me. When I first heard of when I first heard they were gonna go to this um gimmick or this form of match, I think most of us of a certain age immediately think back to Eddie and Cena. Mm. And I try really hard not to compare old matches to new matches because it'll never match up in my mind. Mm. And so if I'm honest with you, if I'm completely honest here, when I first match watched this match, I enjoyed it, but it, it wasn't like the greatest thing to me when I first watched it. It took a couple of rewatches to realize this match was amazing. Mm. And and that's probably because I was still thinking of Eddie versus Cena. So I, I hope other people didn't have that same mental cloud that I had. Because uh you're not you're not giving a great match the chance it deserves. Yeah. Look, not to skip to the final part of the podcast where we talk about the legacy and the impact, but I think the best matches do actually reward rewatching like a true sign of greatness is when you rewatch it like the match gets better so yeah let's let's get stuck into it and let's talk about the actual match when it happened um there was no promo for it no video package <laughs> summing up everything that had happened uh, i guess they just didn't need it because as i said it wasn't wasn't necessarily the best one but it immediately made an impact a cement area in a parking lot cars sort of circled around commentators say it's pinfall submission or surrender only 
proud and powerful come out with their dead Kennedy's face paint on. I think this was was this like the first time they'd worn it, or maybe the first time since their debut that they'd worn that face paint, which is just such a striking look. They wore it in the debut, and I want to say they wore it on one of the um, stadium stampedes. Yep. But this was probably the first proper match yep. on Dynamite that they wore it on. Yeah. And, and when they put that face paint on, it's over. Like it's for real. Yeah. Yeah, a really, really striking look, really cool look. And the best friends come out wearing jeans. Uh, I love it when people when when people wear jeans to a street fight. Uh, it's just just adds like just a little bit and and just gives a fit like makes that fight feel real. Uh, apart, we we talked about that um the uh, Dead Kennedys makeup, but what did you think of just the general setup and the setting that they had for the fight? It helps to own a football team with the stadium because it just works perfectly, <laughs> right? It was yep. in the perfect place. It had the perfect amount of people because, of course, I mean, you know, if, the, if you see two dudes fighting in the parking lot in real life, you're going to huddle around and watch. So it, it felt mm. very real to that. And like you said, I hate street fights when the dude comes out in tights. What does sense does that make? Like, I'm about to fight you. I'm not going to wrestle you. So it felt mm. good to see them appropriately attired, if that's fair to say. Yeah. Um. But no, it it. I, I enjoyed it, and I also enjoyed the fact that when Dynamite came on from commercial, like, they was just there. Mm. You know? I, I appreciated that, because, like, ultimately, you know, I've seen, you've seen some on other companies where, like, they have music and they walk out, and, no, I, just, mm. just fight. This yeah, is they fight. didn't start in the arena or anything like that, and them say it's exactly. a street fight. It was, it was a parking lot fight, and... You know, I don't, I don't know the statistics, but I'm guessing that uh, football parking lots is high on the level of, like, this is where fights go down. <laughs> There's quite a bit of inebriation on football I'm, parking I'm going to say, lots, like, yes. like, pub, bar, bar parking lots probably up there. Football parking lots would have to be pretty high. <laughs> pretty high, sir, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, the two immediately start brawling. The two teams immediately start brawling. Ortiz rams Trent into a car. And JR, fantastic line to start things off. That won't be the last car that gets dented. <laughs> and it's immediately just like chaos with guys going into walls, being thrown into car mirrors. Trent puts Ortiz on in a in the motor part of the – I'm not a car person. I'm sorry. I'm going to – like in the motor area, motor bay, uh, and just slams the hood down on him. Chucky T and Trent then like hit a senton off the car roof, squashing Ortiz. Like there's just no way for that – that bump to just not completely suck. That's the thing about it. Like, you know, you can make some bumps better. There's none of nothing of this 15 minutes could have been made better. Like they just took it. Yeah. Oof. It's cement, metal, glass. Like it's, there, this would have been one you'd wake up the next day. Hurting. Man, there's a spot right after where um, I believe it's Trent. No, it's a uh, Ortiz. I think that catapults Trent, or maybe I got it flipped. Um, where you know how you do the little catapult and they flip to the to the corner. He yeah. does that underneath the truck, yep. the like the bed of the truck. Like yeah. that made me audibly yep. say, Oh my God. Yep. Cause yeah, this is a thing with like sharp edges potentially. <laughs> oh. And uh, and one of the one of the things I wanted to bring up early on, I think it's worth talking about like the extras that they had around. Um they aren't just like cheering and they're they're like shouting one liners. Brandon Cutler, I think, is like the MVP, the the un, unheralded MVP for this one. He's just like yelling quite a bit. Um, and when they get out the plywood, like he's going, "Yeah, that's what I'm talking about." <laughs> <laughs> how much? How much do you lo- just love the extras in this match? 
they, they give it they give it the 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 background it needed. Yeah. It, it so again, good wrestling makes you kind of revert to other things in your life, right? Uh, or good entertainment, rather, I should say. This really felt, with suspension of disbelief is the word we use, the term. This really felt like, man, if these dudes wasn't working right now, they would be fighting. It felt mm. like a real fight yep. in a real parking lot. And that, yeah. authentic, that authenticity, I think, is what lent, it lent itself to the match and made it better. Yeah, and I think, like, adding to that authentic feel is just how chaotic it is. Like, there's a bit mm-hmm. where Trent, like, throws a two-by-four at, at Ortiz and it bounces back and, like, hits him in the face. <laughs> just, like, he cut him. It's he just, was cut over the yeah, eye. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, like, Santana pulls a, a tire iron out from a mud flap. Uh, and later on, Ortiz gets a shovel from the back of the ute. I love how organic it feels. Like, they're using weapons that suit the arena that they're fighting in, which is, you know, they're not pulling out chairs and stuff. It, it's, I, I really like that. Yep. Yep. The And man, when Ortiz threw the uh, sledgehammer yeah. at, at uh, Chucky, it, I, I gasped. Like, yeah, it's hard yeah. to get this old uh, contrarian, if you want to still call me that, to like <laughs> really be like, oh my God, like really get into it. And this match had me concerned for yeah. these guys' safety. Yeah. Yeah, like so Ta- Santana gets busted open. Like, what a cool look! The the dead Kennedys make up the black, the white, and the red. It's just like such an iconic, cool look. And as you said, like Ortiz throws a sledgehammer and Chuck dodges it. Like last second mo- stuff. If he didn't dodge, it's hitting him square in the forehead, <laughs> and it goes it was a like a real sledgehammer. Oh yeah, it goes like bang into the window shield. It's a that's like a a real sledgehammer into a real car window shield. Yeah, Chuck and Ortiz then, like, brawl on top of the car. Ortiz suplexes Chuck onto the roof, landing, like, on the glass window. <laughs> and it's just, like, the way that it breaks. This is, like, isn't sugar glass. No. Um, there, yeah, he, he, even, he even turns over and you could see the glass in his back. Yeah, yeah. It's And it's not, yeah, it's not like the sort of easy break glass that wrestling companies will use sometimes, which, I mean... I've never taken a bump onto it or touched it. I'm sure it still sucks, but like real glass, it takes a lot to break a real plane of glass and it cuts mm-hmm. like hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there's just like this brilliant image of Santana with the dead president makeup with like blood just dripping down his face uh, from his forehead. I, I just cannot speak more highly of the atmosphere and the aesthetics of this match. These are the types of matches that make you appreciate what these guys put on the line for us. Mm. Uh, because this was, by and large, just a, it wasn't a random match in Dynamite, but in the grand scheme of things, it's just a random match in another episode. And they gave their all. They put their bodies on the line for this. And that spot is one of those that you think of where you're like, you don't feel that in the morning. Mm. Yeah. Excalibur makes a great point in commentary. Um, he actually brings up what we're com- we've kind of been talking about. He he brings up the point that the angles that they're hitting things at are not normal for wrestling, which I thought was really interesting because like we watch wrestling obviously, and within within the like the kayfabe, the suspension of disbelief aspect of it, like we know these people trained to give moves, but also trained to take them in a in a way that like minimizes their impact potentially, or or like mitigates the impact somewhat. But but it's like a really great moment to bring that up because he's like these guys you can't train 
to to hit the angles that these guys are hitting right now. So it's like an added level of, of brutality for it. So yeah, really great call by Excalibur. And I mentioned JR earlier as well. Like these the commentators are are really hitting hitting well in this match. Mm-hmm. They run their job. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just, as we've said, really heavy shots back and forth by both teams. It's a seesawing sort of style of match through guardrails, using weapons, <laughs> breaking sticks of wood. Um, the shovel, the, the, the um, what was it, the snow shovel that they hit, uh, yep. they hit a best friends on the back with. It, it, and you see, you can see it yep. crumple up. It's, ugh. Yeah, I think I think I'm happy to say though that Trent takes like the worst bump of the night, and it sort of is a bit of an escalation point for the match. Like a when it's heading to to the end of the the match is when Trent gets power bombed on the roof of the car, which makes a huge dent, and then slammed into the windscreen. Like we we talked about the glass, how gross it is, and by that point he doesn't even have a shirt, so the shards are sticking out. It's just tearing off his back, and he, like, slides down a little bit as well. Is, is that one of the worst bumps you've ever seen, Ray? <laughs> like, just from a it, from a gruesome, kind of gross perspective? Yeah, just, you know, if we're not talking, like, throwing somebody off a scaffold or something, just a regular mm. bump, that's one of the hardest you could take. Yeah. That is it. Yeah, man. Oh, and uh, glass spots always make me cringe. Mm. So, yeah. to take the power bomb and then get... Go through the go through the windshield and did oh man yep and at this point like Santana and Ortiz they kind of it's like they look at each other really cool facial expressions you know with the with the makeup we've talked about with the blood and they look at each other like this needs to end here and I think it's underrated how much they radiate tough guy energy because like we watch wrestling right and mm-hmm. we know that everyone in it is tough anyone who who wrestles has an insane pain threat who wrestles at that level has an insane pain threshold could probably beat the absolute crap out of you or I and most people that are watching like that's mm-hmm. just a fact but there's some performers that just have an energy to them that makes that feel even more authentic like you know I think the ultimate example is Eddie Kingston right but 100%. you know Santana Ortiz they're like a smidge behind him you know it's got to be the New Yorkness of them yep it's got to be the, because both of them are very open about being from New York. They 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 exude it in the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they dress, yep. the way they wrestle. And even if there's one thing you know about New York and you're from Australia, I don't know if you've ever been to New York. I have the one actually, thing yeah. You, oh, nice. OK. The one thing you know about New York, if you've never been there, is it like it's pretty tough if you live there. Yeah. So yep. I, it's maybe an that's intense it atmosphere. Like there's a there's a tense atmosphere. So I live in a town that's like north of Sydney. It's about two hours north of Sydney, and it's got about a million people in it. But it feels like it's got a really laid back, almost a country vibe to it. But when you go to Sydney, and mm-hmm. you just you can feel everyone there is like slightly tense, and and just the energy in the air is different. And I loved going to New York, right? Like I had a fun time there. But you can tell like the energy in the air is just thick, thick with that atmosphere. And if like, I was there for a good time. So, like, I'm on holidays. I'm spending money. I've saved up for it. But, like, if you're in that atmosphere and you didn't have much money and you had a crappy job that you didn't necessarily like and, you know, you maybe had family problems at home, it would be a really shitty place and it would breed, like, just really tough people. Um, oh, and man. people with, like, a lot of scar tissue. 100%. And the, the, the crazy thing about New York is 
it's the biggest city in, in the country by far, like 10, 12 million people or something crazy like that. But it's not big mm. in terms of wide. So they just keep piling on top of each yeah. other, on top of each other, on top of each other. So just imagine if you're in an elevator with too many people and how that makes you feel. Mm. That's them every day. So yeah, I, I get that attitude that comes from them. And mm. those New York wrestlers tend to be able to use yeah. that to their advantage in situations like this. Yeah. And that tough guy energy you said with Proud and Powerful, it is not is not fake. Yeah. It is all authentic. Yeah, and it's in, as you said, like it's in all those small things you said before, like the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they look at each other. And Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill like even just there's this bit just after they they um put trent through the glass where um, one of them's got like a lead pipe and he goes this is the biggest mistake of your life and he's just like tapping the lead pipe like it's just like you can just imagine like these two people in a dark alley and just like this guy with the lead pipes just like just to menace like in a menacing way. oh man Spook, like terrifying stuff yeah um but but all hope is not lost because orange cassidy he emerges from the back of a car just in his classic laconic way apparently i don't know like he's been resting in the back of a car sleeping in the boot or something just chilling back there just, <laughs> yeah. just happened to be there and and hits an orange punch with a steel chain to knock out santana delivering him to Chucky, who hits a tombstone on the car bonnet, and over on the ute next to him, Chucky T hits the bastard driver through some plywood that's been, like, stretched out across the back of the ute. Sorry, truck. We call them, we call it's, trucks utes here in Australia. It, <laughs> um, it'll work. It's okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> and gets the three count. <laughs> couple things I wanted to touch on. Firstly, I did a, I did a, a, a number of weeks ago, I did the Pack versus Orange Cassidy match, and I okay. said I think Orange Cassidy has the best Superman punch in wrestling. You're a big Roman Reigns Roman Reigns fan, uh, fan Ray. It's better. Chris, I, look, it it's is better. yes, it's better. And I am one of the biggest Roman Reigns fans walking <laughs> the earth. It is better because yeah. Roman Reigns is six foot two, yeah. two hundred and sixty five pounds, and yeah. Orange Cassidy like is about the size of my leg. He's and, a whippet. <laughs> oh, and he comes out. And he, the best part about it is the sloth style and all that. He lays that shit in, like oh, that yeah. is not a put on. He lays that punch in. Yeah, well, that's like his thing, right? Like he, he like uses the sloth style to lull his opponent into a false sense of security, and then hits hard and fast. So, like his moves just have to have impact. Can I tell you something? You're yeah. the person. You're the first person that brought that to my attention. That made that makes sense in my mind. I was the biggest Orange Cassidy hater. I think we talked about this. Yeah. If it wasn't you or somebody else, like I, I get that he's funny to people and like the spots can be funny at times, mm. but I just hated it because I just felt like you're killing the point of the wrestling match. But when you pointed out to me, it's all a put on to lull him into a false sense of security. Then I was like, oh, my God, yeah. it makes so much sense. Look, look, to be fair to you, I don't think it is always done quite that well, but that's the idea, right? Like, and in some matches, like the Puck versus Orange Cassidy match that we talked about, it's perfect. Like, it is 
so it's done so well. But there's somewhere, you know, like there was a, I think the ladder match at the double or nothing maybe that because year. You know oh, no, not match. double or nothing, all out. He, like, comes out and he, like, stands on the ladder and tries to reach up. And it's funny, but, like, come on, you're meant to be – he's actually meant to be smart. Like, that's part of the thing is that he's actually – really smart and that's how he gets so yeah i guess maybe you could chalk that up to playing the playing the um playing the crowd but yeah fantastic cameo in this match just like emerging from a boot <laughs> and hitting you know a chain wrapped um orange punch great stuff uh and then yeah look really really good looking finish to it like a brutal finish to a brutal match what an ending what did you think of the ending the ending was perfect I think mm. because Orange Cassidy was a part of this feud from the jump. So it felt kind of yeah. cli- like perfectly climactic for him to play a part in finishing it. And what is he, what is Trent called him now? I remember it being called the dude buster. It's called the bastard. Driver? Uh, that's just what I know it as. That's what they do. Okay. It. That's what it's called when Kota Ibushi does it. So that's that. And he was the first mm. person I saw do it okay. and kevin kelly called it a bastard driver so that's just what i've always called it, it might when be he was in w- when he was in wwe it was called the dude buster because they were the dude oh, busters yeah. him and uh caden croft <laughs> or whatever the guy's yep. name was um whatever it is i i love the move I, I think it's fantastic but to go through the plywood onto the bed of the truck just and then you know pile drivers are banned for a reason so to hit that pile mm. driver on top of the hood of the car just mm. and the thing about matches like these is, unfortunately, the, the violence has to escalate and escalate and escalate, and you can't finish the match with a roll-up. Like, no. The, la- no. the last spot has to be the most... Not this match. No. So I think the, both of those spots were safe enough, yet vicious enough, that I think all of us were like, yep, that's the one. Yep. And then, of course, just to add, like, the cherry on the cake, just the perfect post-match, right? So end of the match, we just hear like honking and the best friends stumble over and the camera just follows them so perfectly. It, it reveals Sue in a new van, you know, the proud and powerful destroyed her old one, but she's got a new one now, comes up, hugs like a bloodied up glass infused trend. <laughs> OC like jumps in the front. He's riding shotgun. Chucky e. T and Trent in the back riding off into the night, only stopping for Sue to put a finger out, put a hand out, and flip the bird to the camera. One of the great endings to a wrestling show in the history of wrestling, right? Like, her giving the finger as they drive off into the night. Perfect. Perfect. Is is this the most wholesome middle finger that's ever been given? <laughs> gotta be. It, it, it's yeah. gotta be. It's gotta be. <laughs> It's just one of you know. It's one of those. It, it's one of those middle fingers that just makes you say, "Aw." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just oh, such a such a brilliant ending, Ray. This match is like ten minutes. That's How wild is that? That's the best part of the match. It is so compact and it's so. Di- the I know that these epics we've seen over the years are twenty, thirty minutes, and they're great. But it's something for, to see a match that, that's this good that is so digestible. Mm. It's so easily digestible mm. that you can watch it in one sitting and keep it moving, and then it's good. Mm. And I think that helps the fact that it, mm. that why it's so good. Um, one of the things I'm curious to ask you is, like, what extras you picked up on a rewatch? 
because for me, like, obviously I was blown away by the action. I think everyone was at first. But the thing that I picked up on my rewatch was how great the character performances as well were from both both performers. We already talked a lot about Santana and Ortiz and, like, the energy that they have. But there's just, like, some really small stuff that the best friends do as well. Like, Chucky T gives this really – it's really subtle, but it's like this relieved smile when he notices Sue in the car. It's like when he hears the honking, it's like, oh, fuck, is this Jericho, Hager, and Sammy? Like, <laughs> are we just about to get beaten up again? But no, it's – and he's just got – it's not overdone, but it's the kind of smile you'd have, like, after you've been in a fight like that and you've just ex- – like, you've just got on a 10-minute sprint, you've emptied the tank, and you're like, oh, thank goodness. It's just, like, such a wholesome moment that – just so subtle as well what 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 did you pick up on the rewatch because you mentioned that like your opinion of this improved a lot on rewatch mm-hmm. uh the two things that caught on my that caught me the most we've talked about it a bit one of them was the crowd i didn't pay any attention to the crowd the first time i they were just periphery to me and then to see the reactions and how their reactions helped the performers and and things like that that really like improved uh, because we all know a great crowd can make a great match epic, you know, mm. or a bad crowd can make a great match mediocre. Mm. Well, this crowd helped the match. That was the first thing. And I say crowd, the 20 yeah, the extras, yeah, <laughs> the extras. And the second thing was you pointed out perfectly was the facial expressions and kind of the, the expressions between each other as between spots. The one with Ortiz when he grabbed, or I believe it was Santana. No, one of them. I can't remember which one it was. But when he grabbed the the pipe and was kind of tap, 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 and he was like, oh, mm. you're going to get it now. And he had yep. that face that almost was Joker-esque. Like, Aha, I got you. Yeah. I didn't notice that at first because I was just looking at the spot. And then you see the motivation behind the spot. And um, I I had time to think about it. I really feel like, in kayfabe, of course, that before the match started, that these dudes came and placed these spots here, the the tire iron and the and yep. the lead pipe. Like, I'm gonna need that in this fight. Yep. And so yep. that so when he pulls it out, then you see that look that look on his face. It's almost like, yeah, I planned for this. Now you got to see me, and I, that just adds it to me. And I know that's all in my mind, but that yep. just makes it that much greater to me. No, I like it. I like it because it's like it's a different setting, right? So like you know, someone's pulled up the cars and stuff, and there's probably been like a lull at diff- before that everyone turns up, and you know maybe Santana Ortiz just went in and like put some laid some traps and. But it, to me, it's no different than when there's like yeah. a death match, and they mm. have the um the tacks that they've put and they yeah. get under the ring. Yep. It's the same yep. thought process, right? You're prepared. Yeah, I'm gonna need. So that. yeah. No, I like that. I that's I think that's a cool aspect to think about as well, like to sort of think about what we don't see, I guess, in, in the lead up to these sorts of things. Now, I know you don't love Meltzer, but this was the first <laughs> empty arena match that Meltzer gave five stars. And as I said, this is like a, a really beloved match um, and a really well thought of match. What do you think sets this apart from the – empty arena matches that came beforehand that like just had this one sticking above surprise i yep. don't think anybody expected it to be that good yeah 
I, I think that's the biggest. Yeah, I, I agree because, like, as I said, like the build up to it was pretty pretty mid. <laughs> to use a term that's you know pretty fitting of it. It was you know not something that people had a lot of, or at least myself had a, a lot of emotional investment into. But Dave, Dave yeah. has a history of giving matches higher grades when they surprise him. Mm. So I like this would this I think this match just surprised him and a lot of people mm. with how good it was. Yeah. I think is an, another factor that could have been into it is just like the different setting because <clears throat> by this point we're all pretty sick of you know even though like I think AEW did what they could all the companies did what they could uh and I think it was a master stroke for AEW to use the the extras the way they did uh and of course everyone copied them um so it, it became the it, it obviously worked because everyone copied it and then of course the wwe moved to the thunderdome which was like ultimately their bigger response to not being able to have crowds but even with those things in place it wasn't the same and i think we all got a little bit sick of seeing it even even subconsciously potentially and you could tell that by when actual crowds came back it felt like biblical like that double or nothing 2021 and wrestlemania the two nights they felt just incredible and so elevated because of the crowds uh, and that's how you could tell like even if we were still enjoying it there was a subconscious part of it that this this there was something missing that we weren't necessarily putting together even in an era with a full crowd this match probably would have been done exactly the same yeah like it if it was backstage like this and it was different as well like this is in a parking lot it's not in front of a bunch of empty seats it's not in a wrestling ring even and I think that that helped it stick above, say, like, you know, there was, some really, there was a really good match between Ishii and Hiromu Takahashi that I remember mm-hmm. well. John Moxley versus Brody Lee is one of my favourite matches of all time. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Even those matches, they have that element to them where you're like, mm, but this one, this has, like, the perfect setting for it, and they didn't need a crowd, and it, it's, it worked perfectly. I, that's a great point that I didn't think of until you mentioned it. But it reminds me of the first two Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso matches that wouldn't have worked if there was a crowd because you needed to hear what they were saying. Yeah. And so I think this match was enhanced because you could hear everything. Yeah. And if you would have heard the crowd, it would have gave it maybe it would have maybe changed the atmosphere. But it Mm. feels so much more real because Mm. it's dead silent and you hear flesh hitting flesh and flesh hitting glass and things like that which made you, I think it made it feel more real. And I think mm. that's the one thing I could think of, of this parking lot brawl, parking lot fight, is it just felt real. Mm. And that will always help a match. Like, if it feels, if it just has such a, a haze of authenticity to it, that will always help something feel good. Moving beyond the actual match itself, because we've <laughs> just lathered praise liberally everywhere about <laughs> this match. I wanted to talk about the lasting impact of the match for both teams, because I think that's somewhere this match doesn't necessarily stand up um, where it maybe falls down. What do you think the lasting legacy of this match is for both teams? Well, this is, I think, definitely the best match both have had mm. in uh, AEW, which I think is, uh, is in both parts really, really cool and really, really bad. Because mm. both, of these, both of these teams, all four of these performers, are so good that they could be having top-level matches every week. Um, I give best friends a break because Trent got hurt. Um, mm. 
and he uh as of this recording he just came back so that will hopefully helps them in going further uh but there's no excuse that proud and powerful hasn't been a top level tag team there's no excuse mm. and so that this is their legacy is really cool that a random mid card match in the pandemic era holds up on rewatching is great but i think it's also a shame that this is going to be the best match you remember them in as a tag team mm. They've done great things as a group. I think the stadium stampedes have been fun and stuff like that. But mm. I'm talking about as just a, 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 sing, a, a singular tag team match. This should not be what you remember them for. But yet, I think it will be. Mm. This match added a lot to the mythology of both teams. Like the sort of the legend that they have in AEW. Particularly like the, the Dead Kennedys makeup. Like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it like... <clears throat> As you said, like when they wear that, that means stuff's about to happen. And I think this match does. Does I'm not sure. You, I I didn't watch a lot of LAX before. Um, they were proud and powerful in AEW. I'm not sure if they did it regularly before then, but like they for did. me now, because they wore the Dead Kennedys makeup in this match, like it means when they wear it in the future. So like when they bring it out for blood and guts, it's serious. It's about to go down. And of course. Like, it adds to the toughness for best friends to be like, these guys, they're lovable, they're wholesome, but they've got a lot of grit to them as well. But I don't think it elevated them. Like, I don't think either of the 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 teams were elevated in the ranks of AEW because of this match. Straight after it as well, like, best friends got stuck in what I would call pretty much the same feud, where it's like another feud that goes on forever, probably too long Every week there's another segment where something wacky or crazy or trying to build heat happens. This is, of course, talking about against Miro and Kip Sabian. And it leads to, like, a fantastic match. Like, there's a fantastic blow-off match, but it just goes on for too long and the emotional stakes just aren't there. I feel like for most people that was the case, particularly with that, with that second feud, if not this first one as well. And I don't think that's, like, a template that's a good one to have for a long-term Thing like oh well these guys are really good at saving it when the match happens i agree and there's a positive and a negative to kind of the stable wars of AEW. but best friends being kind of like the wacky home for like all the mm. people who don't fit is fun and endearing but it doesn't help them in the long run when you get into feuds like this and yeah. maybe you'll maybe you'll disagree with this but mirror on kip sabian was not a good combo so i just don't think that was a good match to begin with mm. Yeah, uh, Kip Sabian is a fantastic wrestler, and him and um, Penelope are a great combo. Mm. But I didn't need to see Kip and Miro, and Miro being a video game guy. So I just think there was so much working against that next feud that it just wasn't going to work in general, and then it lasted too long to begin with. Yeah, I think like looking at this, there's almost an argument against the long-term planned-out nature that AEW has. Because, like, AEW, they're a company that, for better or worse, and I think for most of this, like, mostly better, because I'm a big proponent of this, like, they have these long stories that they play out, and they book very methodically for that. And the tag team division at this point, like, the story was Hangman and Kenny, the Bucks, and FTR. And, and there really wasn't room for one of these teams to come out of this match, you know, red hot and on fire, and and, and stuff up that situation. There's a, an alternate universe where like i think proud and powerful win and go up against the bucks and they come out of this just so flaming red hot and they go against the bucks and 
completely blow apart that upper tier of the tag team division. But that wasn't going to happen in AEW because of the methodical nature of the story that they'd planned out, which, you know, for the most part, like I love the fact that they build out these stories and and map them out and and execute them so that stories have a logical beginning, middle, middle and end. But I guess this is this here, what we're talking about is the nest is possibly the argument against that. Great question. Great point. Um, I have two quick retorts that the first one is that is the one negative about ultra long term storytelling, because the middle always is going to be your problem. Mm. You're going to have a beginning yep. and have an end. And your middle is always if an AEW has been I don't want to call them lucky because they very clearly planned for this. But in terms of like the reactions have gotten so lucky that people haven't gotten tired of the wait in between the beginning and the end. And they've done great in booking so far. Mm. But this is the problem with long term storytelling because you got to get to that middle part. Right. Just to quickly jump in, my my <laughs> I guess my my talk to that would be that they have built enough in engagement with their fans that their fans will trust them and they'll go along with it knowing that Absolutely. it's going somewhere. Absolutely. And that and that, that is their greatest asset is that they have the goodwill to yep. get that time. Mm. The second quick point is that's the beauty of the mid card, right? I know that there's parts of the mid card that's supposed to build you up to the next part, but there's that whole other 75 to 80% of the mid card that exists just because it exists. Right, mm. just to get you from match to match, show to show, card to card, pay per view to pay per view, and this is the quintessential. Got to have something to do, match, mm. and it just outshined every expectation anybody yeah. could have had for it. It did main event dynamite that week, I guess, but um, I know what you're saying. It was it was not it was not like a program that was a, a headline feud, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. I guess that's probably it's probably a good thing that AEW. It shows that AEW are willing to go with. Like what's most important at the you know the in the main event spot, not always having the same wrestler in it, but at the same time, I think you're right with what you said. Yeah. Diversity doesn't just mm. mean um, sexual orientation mm. or racial or gender. Diversity mm. just means different, and yep. this means this brings diversity to the card. Yep. I've got uh, two more questions. One one quick one, which I'll leave till last, and 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 just one that's like a more of a broad overview. AEW has done like a lot of really violent matches. I'm thinking, you know, the the first one that comes to mind, Escalera de la Morte, uh, mm-hmm. and then of course the Full Gear, the Lights Out, the Unsanctioned match, and there's also uh, I think Kenny and Mox both had ones against Joey Janela as well, which were quite good. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's the Blood and Guts match. This match, of course, uh, the steel cage match that uh, the Bucks and Lucha, Lucha Bros had. Yeah. Uh, also, Jericho. like Jericho and Gage, yeah, like him carving a chunk out of him. Uh, where do you think this ranks in terms of oh, the, the um, of course, one that I must mention, um, Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa, their lights out unsanctioned match. Where do you think this ranks in terms of the real ultra-violent stuff that AEW has done? Well, I think, when I think ultra-violent, I think light tubes and glass and the the mm. barbed wire web that Moxley and mm. Kenny went through. Yeah. Like that. So I wouldn't call oh, the this exploding match. the exploding barbed wire match that they oh God, those two are nuts. <laughs> I forgot I forgot yeah. about that. That's another one. Um. So they've really taken some chances, right? They've really taken some chances with the ultra violence. I wouldn't call this match ultra-violent. Mm. I would call it maybe one of the most violent regular matches they could have had. 
But I think yep. when I when I think ultraviolet, I think we need to make sure we have paramedics nearby just in case. Yeah, and that's what I think of when I think of Gage <laughs> and Jericho. What I think of when I saw Moxley versus uh, Kenny both times in both of their hardcore matches. What I think of when you saw mm. Britt versus Rosa, stuff like that. Yeah, by by ultraviolet, I think I'm more mean like this is it's something that they're able to do because of the they're not rated PG right. Like they aim at an an older audience, whereas the WWE aims sort of more broad audience, including children. So they can do an elevated level of violence. I think this match would fall into that category. And I'm just trying to categorize it amongst all of those. Because for me, I think it's right up there, right? But the Britain Thunder Rosa match, I think, is probably like a hair ahead because of just the fact that they had women to this insanity and the passion and fire and grit that those guys showed was, and the character performances in that match was incredible. The match I talked about last week, um, and we mentioned Moxley versus Omega, the exploding barbed wire death match. I love that match. I think that's brilliant, and 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 that's a hill I'll die on. Um, I won't won't relitigate it because I just spent an hour and a half talking about it last it's week. It's a great match. It's a great yeah. match. Yeah. For ninety nine percent of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I love that cage match as well that the the Lucha Bros and and Young Bucks had. But apart from those three, like this one probably is like slotting right in there, which is really like that's high praise. That's that's a pretty high air. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It 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 definitely fits. My last question. <laughs> this one's uh, this one's a question without notice, and we've we've spent like you know an hour talking about it. Obviously, both of us think it's a great match. My last question though is, we both know that TK's money runs deep, but how much do you think all the damage to these cars costed him? <laughs> Oh my god. Um <laughs> fifty to seventy five K, maybe a hundred. Yeah, so, uh, oh well, that's pocket money for him. Like that's nothing. Oh yeah. No, that's lunch. <laughs> that's lunch money. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Ray, look, I've I've really appreciated having you on here. it's been a blast. This is a fantastic match to talk about and I've really enjoyed rewatching it and, and chatting to you about it. Do you have anything more to add? And if not, just tell the people where they can find you. I just want to say first and foremost that you and I have been going back and forth. We've been in each other's periphery for years, back to Lords of Pain or Wrestling Headlines. Just a pleasure. Yeah, you're one of the first it. people to comment on my columns there, actually. And I, pr- I really appreciated it. So, yeah, I wouldn't be here without you, probably. You were a really good writer and you're an excellent podcaster. And it's been my pleasure. And it's been my pleasure to have our run-ins and our back and forths and our DMs and whatnot. I enjoy our conversation. And I thank you for thinking of me for this because you didn't have to. And I, I truly appreciate that. I, and I appreciate you giving me a chance to show the world that I actually do care about AEW. I just <laughs> y'all see me criticizing for other things, but I care about this company. So thank you for that. But you can find me on Twitter at It's Ray Cash. That is R-E-Y as in Mysterio and C-A-S-H as in dollars. And anywhere on the Chairshot.com, the Chairshot radio network. I'm all over that thing. I write columns. I do podcasts. I do everything. I'll come to your house and wash your windows if you pay me. Whatever you need. <laughs> I've got nothing to say after that, Ray. Except that, <laughs> look, as I said, look, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. Been an absolute blast. And, and I really appreciate you jumping on making the time of day for me. Uh, and look, I appreciate the listeners as well. Everyone listening out there, really appreciate it. It's It's been so fun. It's so fun making this podcast. Uh, and it's been a real... A really great journey to see how it's growing and changing and and how people are loving it and engaging with it. So I really appreciate it. Uh, If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. 
Uh, as I said at the start, make sure you listen to all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. And make sure you listen in next week where I am talking about Cody versus MJF with Howard Schilling. So that will be a, a really fun one to, to talk about. So make sure you join me next Friday uh, on the AW Match Ride podcast. Thank you, Ray Cash, for joining me today. And thank you to the dear listeners out there for listening in. I'll see you next week. for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.